Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Ritual Yoga and Energy Healing. My name is Christy Holt. If you've never listened to these before, I'm really grateful to have you in this space today. It's been quite a while since my last episode. And yeah, I'm just very excited and happy to be diving into this beautiful message today. So thank you for being here. I've been taking some time to really settle into our new home here in South Africa and getting to know the community. Um, Yeah, so it's been a really wonderful time. I've also been playing around with that, the idea of really only bringing you content or messages or episodes when it feels really, really deeply necessary and resonant and potent. Um, I think in the business world, you can feel a lot of pressure to just kind of churn out content to constantly keep um, people interested in what you have to say, you know, but I honestly feel like it's so much more um, my style and so much more integral to just bring you these messages when they're so potent. So sometimes that means I'll have like so much to say in one week and then nothing to say in the next. And I think that's completely okay. So yeah, I'm bringing this to you because it is a very potent message. It came to me on August 8th, which was Lionsgate. It's a beautiful day. We were down at, um, down the South Coast at the cottage and I had just finished a beautiful yoga class and I was laying in the sun. No one else was home. It's just me. It was glorious. And I, got this urge to write, which is often how my inspiration or how spirit speaks with me. So I wrote down exactly what was coming through, and that's what I would like to share with you today. I'm going to share with you this kind of stream of consciousness, can I say, or this little message that I wrote. And I did share it on my Instagram the day that it came through right afterwards because it was so potent and I really wanted to share it with whoever needed to listen to it and contemplate it. Um, However, I do recognize that sometimes these messages can be written down in such potent form that we can kind of get lost in them. Even myself reading it back, there's some points in it where I'm a little bit like, Let me read that again. (laughs) So I want to kind of go line by line and break it down and kind of unravel it and maybe bring up some questions to contemplate, um, just kind of toss around and and also uh, bring clearer understanding to terms that I use. So I'm just going to read it to you first, and then we will break it down. So it goes, The pursuit of consciousness never denotes a sense of better than. It simply asks us where our devotion lies. Are we devoted to love, 
or false gods, fear, anger, guilt. To not pursue consciousness is also a choice, not good or bad. But choice denotes responsibility. Most often when we are presented with the truth that our circumstances is created by our choices and therefore we are held responsible, once we step out of the victim mentality, we are left at the crossroads of awakening our devotion to love or continuing in coalition with our misery. The key ingredient to healing is simply within our devotion to self. Whether or not we swallow our pride and take responsibility for the part we play in our prerogative. There is no hierarchy to love. There is no hierarchy of love. When we speak of leveling up or higher self, what we really mean is a widened scope of love, possibility, and potentiality. Pursuing a more conscious state doesn't make you better than anyone. In fact, it generates deeper compassion for all beings and it allows understanding to widen into acceptance of all paths. Choosing to not devote to conscious expansion is okay too. It submits itself to the same level of responsibility of choice. Often resisting growth simply allows the universe to conspire to grow you, which can be misconceived as crises by the general public. Cosmology-wise, the universe will continue the expansion of love, whether you go willingly or not. That's quite the, quite the statement, hey, quite the message. And if I lost you halfway through, that's completely okay. We will work through it together. And if that landed, then land. You know, maybe even pause it for, pause this episode for a moment and just see what that evokes in you. Write down whatever it evokes in you. Or continue listening. And yeah, just kind of sitting with it. Yeah, contemplating it can be really beautiful to sit with it, see what comes up for you, and then listen to the rest of the episode um, to see how I break it down. And then kind of cross-reference your notes can be a fun little experiment. All right, anyways, quite a nerd when it comes to the spirituality stuff. (laughs) So this first line, the pursuit of consciousness never denotes a sense of better than. It simply asks us where our devotion lies. Are we devoted to love or false gods, fear, anger, guilt? So that first part of the line, the pursuit of consciousness never denotes a sense of better than, speaks to this idea that um, consciousness does not equate with better. You know, right? So... There can be kind of a a separation there. And often um, it's the difference between wanting to be conscious and then really embodying consciousness. So when we want to be conscious, 
and we're kind of on this honest and humble path of I want to speak in a more conscious way. I want to treat you in a more conscious way. I want to live with the earth in a more conscious and re reciprocal relationship. However, in our relationships, we can often see that if one person is more devoted to the path of consciousness than the other, there can be this kind of separation that occurs where the person who's pursuing consciousness actively feels like uh, they're better than or they are um, somehow more evolved than those who choose not to pursue it actively, you know? So this line completely levels the playing field. It's like bringing us all back down and saying, okay, just because you choose to pursue consciousness doesn't actually make you, it's just your, cho your choice and other people will choose their choices. And actually when we embody consciousness, there, the, this better than still comes from the ego, right? So it's still coming from this um, pursuit of consciousness. It's not the embodiment of consciousness. Because when we arrive to the embodiment of consciousness, in fact, we live in such deep compassion and acceptance of others that there can't, there's no room for it. There's no room for this, you're being so unconscious right now. This like rage and disappointment when others don't choose consciousness. When, when you actually arrive, and you can see this in really beautiful masters, like you can see this in um, the Dalai Lama and the Tibetans, um, when they were inv invaded by the Chinese and um, a lot of them were kind of captured and abused horribly, you know? There was this kind of uh, interview after, or I'm not 100% sure what it was, but the prisoners that were tortured were asked if they were ever afraid when they were um, being tortured, right? And they, they responded, I was afraid I would lose my ability to have compassion for the guards, for the people who were torturing us. I was afraid that I would lose my compassion for them. Because in, in Buddhism, there's the teaching of, of um, karma, right? Of, of this, um, like every action, every choice we make kind of creates a karmic balance or imbalance, right? And so they were afraid that... Um, they were so compassionate for the guards because they knew that they were creating so much strife for themselves in a later point in their lives. There's a beautiful podcast episode on this with Pema Chodron, and I can link it in the show notes. Um, I will try to find it for you. So yeah, um, that's kind of a really deep understanding of that first line is like 
in our contemporary world where we're still full of so many worldly attachments and especially in the western world where the ego is really pumped up um, when we choose to pursue consciousness there can be this like um, hoity-toity like I'm better than you because I'm um, trying to be conscious in this moment and true consciousness true embodiment of consciousness would never um, even associates that hierarchy. It would just, um, there would be compassion and understanding and ac acceptance of where people are, where they are, you know, and what choices they are making and seeing how that affects them and has nothing to do with us, right? Okay, that was a long explanation there. It simply asks us where our devotion lies. So the pursuit of consciousness simply asks us where our devotion lies. Are we devoted to love or false gods? So this is where kind of we start to get into the choice of whether we pursue consciousness or not. And this breaks down to devotion, right? And there is, um, like we're always in devotion to something. Right? There's, there's not a moment in this human existence that we're not devoting ourselves to something. And when we worry, we're devoting all of our energy to that energy of worry, that false god of worry. When we are angry or afraid, we are devoting our energy to the frequency of fear or the frequency of anger. And it's not to say that those are, um, those are bad and um, poor choices, you know. But it's just that that's an understanding. Is like we're always in devotion to something. And if it's not love, what are you devoting to? And so the pursuit of consciousness is actually a pursuit of love, a devotion to love. And so that can be a really interesting rerouter of like, what am I devoting to during my days? What is constantly on my mind? Because what, what's on my mind is what I'm devoting to. And so don't get this confused with the idea of like your thoughts being bad or um, anything, you know, uh, your worry being bad, your fear being bad, you know, those are all valid experiences to feel into and to understand but we those are emotions right energy and motion we have to move through them to receive their potent um, understandings right so if we're constantly living in fear or constantly living in the anger and just kind of steeping ourselves in that energy then we're actually devoting our energy to that fear or to that anger so to step out of that is to reroute and devote to love and devoting to love devoting to compassion is still sitting with that fear still sitting with that anger but it's not attaching ourselves to it it's not um, becoming it it's not devoting to it so I hope that that clears that up as well.
Okay. To not pursue consciousness is a choice, not good or bad. But choice denotes responsibility. So once again, coming to this idea of choice, of the fact that pursuing consciousness or not is a choice. And in terms of good or bad, those are very duality words, right? So we have to kind of understand that there's a beautiful tension between good and bad. And that our choices are not necessarily good or bad, but they do have consequences. And the consequences are not necessarily good or bad. They're just um, direct effects or balancing out of, of the universe. So, yeah. Choice denotes responsibility. And that's a really important one because often we can make choices and we might not be so aware that we're making the choice, right? Especially when we're kind of, if we're devoting to fear, that devotion is in fact a choice. We're choosing to devote to fear. However, there's not many people who would say, actively, yes, I choose to devote to fear, right? So it's, it's first in this awareness of becoming awareness of what we're choosing in every moment. And then that, that holds responsibility. That holds the responsibility of, okay, so if my choices create my circumstance, right? If my choices create my world, then technically I'm responsible for my world. I'm responsible for the balancing outs of it, right? And so then when, we're at, when we choose to devote to fear or we choose to devote to anger, then there, there can't be any victim mentality when that... Um, consequence comes back to us because we are now aware that we chose that um, chose that consequence by choosing whatever we chose that's a lot of choices (laughs) so most often when we are presented with the truth that our circumstance is created by our choices and therefore we are held responsible, once we step out of the victim mentality, we are left at the crossroads of awakening our devotion to love or continuing in coalition with our misery. So that circles back around to what I've just said about our, our choices creating our circumstance. Therefore, we're responsible for our circumstance once we can step out of this victim mentality, because it's very common to awaken to that truth that our choices create our circumstance and say, oh, well, I really dislike myself for making that choice. Or, you know, we can fall into such a deep pit of 
um, self-pity where we go, you know, why did I make that choice? That was so ridiculous. And, you know, we kind of beat ourselves up and we give ourselves a really hard time for our choices when we realize that we're responsible for our circumstance. And yet, staying in that energy is like, is, is choosing to devote to the false gods, is choosing to devote to guilt, to shame, to um, anger. And staying in that choice continues to churn out to churn out consequences. And so when we can actually pull ourselves out of that victim mentality and say, okay, that's not compassionate to be treating ourselves that way. When we can pull ourselves out of that, we're left at the crossroads of either awakening our devotion to love or continuing in coalition with our misery. So then we're like at this crossroads where it's like, okay, Am I choosing to devote to love, to like arrive in every moment in awe of my world, in awe of my life, in awe of the people I get to spend my time with? Do I choose to devote to love in that way? Or do I choose to stay in that self-pity and understand that I am working with my misery. I am kind of giving her the power or giving him the power. It's like this, um, and it's draining. Anyone who's ever been in that situation knows how draining it is to loathe yourself or to feel such shame, right? And we can go in deeper into the understanding of where that is in the chakra system and how to unblock that. But that's not the purposes of this episode. So let's continue. The key ingredient to healing is simply within our devotion to self. Whether or not we swallow our pride and take responsibility for the part we play in our prerogative. So that's, that's the key ingredient, you know, the key ingredient to healing. So this, this healing is so profound when we realize that it's simply a devotion to self. It's devoting to love. And we can only do so when we swallow our pride, when we take responsibility, we say, yes, I created this life I created this scenario all right I made this happen and now I'm going to take responsibility I'm taking responsibility and let's let's take that let's take that route at the crossroads that is awakening our devotion to love let's take that and that key ingredient to healing is that willingness to take responsibility and move forward, right? To take responsibility and, yeah, awaken to love. I don't know how else to say it. 
Okay, this next part. There is no hierarchy of love. There is no hierarchy to love. When we speak of leveling up or higher self, what we really mean is a widened scope of love, possibility, and potentiality. So in the healing world, in the... Um, this kind of industry of spirituality or this um, conversation around our spirituality, our evolution, our consciousness, there can be so much conversation around the terms higher self or um, like leveling up, you know. And I find them to be a little bit misleading because this idea of it being a hierarchy, of it being vertical, right, is, is quite a um, misconception, I feel, of this human experience. In the yogic philosophy and um, understanding of Rajas yoga, or even in the understanding of chakra theory, there are some um, schools of thought that really do harp on this idea of hierarchy, right? And harp on this idea of um, once you unblock your first chakra, then it's your second chakra, third chakra. And then once the seventh chakra is awakened, then you're fully conscious, right? And in those older traditions or in those um, schools of thoughts or understandings, there's this huge devotion to consciousness and, and reaching a conscious state and then um, being able to disassociate from the body, right? And um, return, like break the pattern of samsara, break the pattern of life and death. And that's all in good and well if that is your intention. And yet, for most of us listening to this podcast right now, or me speaking in this podcast, my um, mission or my understanding is that we want to live with more peace. We want to live in our bodies in this time with a deeper level of satisfaction, a deeper sense of presence, and a deeper sense of peace. And so this idea of hierarchy, of leveling up to a point where, you know, you kind of like burst out of your body into this kind of conscious um, <laughs> speck of light and you no longer have to live in this cycle of life and death, that's, that's all good and well. That's just not what I teach. So what I teach is more on the horizontal plane. I teach more the understanding of bringing the beautiful consciousness in from spirit, bringing the beautiful soul, um, soul love, soul matter from the earth and allowing them to meet at the heart. And then we extend our arms outwards in love, in that devotion to love, right? So it's more on a horizontal plane than it is on a, like, vertical hierarchy plane 
And when we kind of come back to this idea of leveling up or higher self, that doesn't really um, sit well for me. So what I think we're really trying to grasp at is that once we start to pursue this more conscious way of living, it's like a widening. It's it's an ability of our arms to widen out further and to not only give more love, but receive more love. So that it's like widening our scope of love, possibility, and potentiality. Okay, I hope that landed. Um, yeah. Pursuing a more conscious state doesn't make you better than anyone. In fact, it generates deeper compassion for all beings, and it allows understanding to widen into acceptance. So once again, returning to that idea of choosing to pursue consciousness does not make you better, right? It's not a hierarchy. It's a horizontal widening. And coming back to that idea of in fact, it generates deeper compassion. And it's the difference between embodying that consciousness and allowing your spirit and soul to mingle at the heart space. That's kind of a true embodiment of consciousness when we can really understand and accept others and ourselves. And in that true state of consciousness, there's no space for this idea of better than. So that only exists when our ego is still in attachment. And so if, if you do feel like that ever comes up for you in relationships where you're like, man, but I'm being really conscious here and my partner is not being conscious in the slightest. I have this sometimes. I think everyone does. It's a very human thing. Our egos are there and they don't need to be shamed. They can be befriended, right? So, but holding that in compassion. And when that comes up, holding yourself in compassion and then holding the other person in compassion and knowing that they are doing their best they can with the tools and the understanding that they have. Choosing to not devote to conscious expansion is okay too. It submits itself to the same level of responsibility of choice. So that's once again bringing back this idea of duality. It's, it's choice. It's not good or bad. It's not like a child telling them that that was a good choice or a bad choice. It's simply a choice. Choice denotes um, responsibility choice denotes consequences and so it's completely okay to not devote consciously to your expansion and yet it submits itself to consequence so then I go on to say often resisting growth simply allows the universe to conspire to grow you which can be misconceived as crises by the general public so this idea is um, interesting because it's 
a little bit nuanced. Like, I don't think it's a hard and fast rule, but I think it's often a coincidence we see. Is that resisting this growth, resisting the change that is coming and the um, widening of consciousness, the widening of understanding and this devotion to love, when we resist that and we kind of want to just plot along, we don't really want to become responsible for our choices. We don't really want to become that aware of of how much we have to do with our circumstance. When we resist that growth, universe still wants to expand. You know, it, it, there's this conscious expansion happening. And this, in energetic terms, they talk about it, a conscious or a constant kind of like leveling up of vibration, of the frequency. And once again, that's talking on the vertical plane. When we talk about it on the horizontal plane, there's this like opening, right? There's this opening and this deeper understanding, this deeper resonance. And so the universe is going to do that whether or not you are on board, right? And in doing so, in constantly expanding, um, it's kind of like a snake that doesn't shed its skin every cycle. It keeps growing and growing and growing. And what happens when a snake doesn't um, shed its skin? You know, the first thing that happens is that it goes completely blind because it doesn't, um, like, they have eye caps over their eyes. So there's actually skin over their eyes. And when they don't shed their skin, they also don't shed their eye caps. And so those get thicker and thicker, and which creates blurry vision, right? So think of that in terms of huma humanity, of the human, resisting growth, not wanting to shed the layers when they come up to be shed, not wanting to let go of our attachments, not wanting to um, pursue consciousness or devote to love. It's, it's okay. It's completely your choice. And yet it might begin to blur your vision. It might begin to, I mean, the other thing that happens on a snake is it can start to um, like create disease, right? Because there's so many skins layering on top of each other. Um, it can create a lot of biological issues. So then in human terms, that's similar to our bodies. If we're resisting growth, resisting change, that's all um, trapped and understood in our bodies. If we're not keen to explore our trauma and clear that, those energetic blockages from that trauma, then that's creating stagnant, like stagnancy. That's creating dis-ease, which often metastasizes into disease, right? So that's where I talk about misconceived as crises by the general public because it's it's really not uh at least in my mind's eye it's not really a parameter of your just your physical well-being i really think our health is a, a holistic um, idea 
And so there's this kind of understanding that if we don't look at it from all sides, if we don't look at it from a psychological, spiritual, mental, um, emotional, and physical level, then we're missing a lot of facets of health. And health comes from the old Greek word, word meaning whole. And so when we don't look at it from all of the facets, then we're missing out on a lot of good information. So this resisting of growth is completely okay. No worries. But the universe will conspire to grow you. And when we start to resist that growth or resist that change, that can be a midlife crisis. That can be an illness, a disease, right? And that it's been recorded so many times that there's a lot of psychological um, aspects to disease. And that facing those aspects can be such a healing and cathartic experience, okay? But we don't have to get to that point, right? Because we can actively choose to devote to love and choose to devote to the pursuit of consciousness. It's simply a choice. Not good, not bad, just a choice. To just put a little caveat here on this whole conversation of disease, because I definitely don't think it's this black or white thing of um, if we ignore our psychological, mental, emotional health, that we will get disease. Like, I don't think that those are, um, like, I don't think it's causation so much as it's correlation. So we can often see that there is a correlation and that can be a really wonderful doorway to trace back and to understand um, ourselves in a deeper and more complex way. And at the same time, disease can also be disease, right? And it's a physical ailment, right? It's on the physical plane. And because we are such material humans, um, the physical plane really concerns us, right? And this fear of death really holds us. And that's okay. That's understandable as human beings, right? And when disease comes up, it uh, can be an invitation, kind of like uh, um, a GPS on a vehicle, you know, we're, we're going down a route, going down a route, and then it goes rerouting, rerouting, let's get back on the route, right? So it's just to say that sometimes illness or sickness um, in the physical plane is trying to alert us to something going on in the emotional plane or the psychological plane or the spiritual plane and so it's just kind of a doorway it's an invitation to kind of have a look have a little investigation see what's going on and at the same time they don't need to be causation right it doesn't need to be a hard and fast black and white rule that if you are sick or if you are ill it means that you failed in one of those aspects. And I think in the spirituality world, that can often 
um, be the misunderstanding or be the misle- like misleading. Even um, when something like a child gets sick, right? Or um, a child is born with a lot of physical ailments. You know, there's not... Um, we're not going to say that that child has unresolved trauma or unresolved emotional issues. That child has a physical ailment and might need more emotional or psychological support, right? Um, But it's not this like causation because oftentimes this uh, theory or this understanding of holistic medicine as looking at the big picture can get misunderstood as um, like causation and then people will bring up all of these different um, circumstances right so it's just doorways it's just like peeking our head in and it's it's all connected at the end of the day Um, yeah there's so many different roads we could go down on with that conversation I think that's a whole different conversation in and of itself um but yeah I just like to put that little caveat in here because there can be this sensation of like having done all the spiritual work having done all of the emotional work and you know maybe at some point you're never done right and so that's why physical ailments are always a potentiality however at the same time there are a lot of um, masters and there's a lot of um, people who are very, very spiritually aware and some might say embodied consciousness that become ill with disease, right? And that's not to say that they're, they've failed in an aspect of their healing or their expansion, right? It's, it's just a physical plane malfunction. Um, and and disease can also be a really beautiful thing Um, there can also be like deep acceptance and deep growth that comes through um, living with disease and understanding the fragility of life and that can be the teacher that someone needs at that time so yeah it's just a parameter and I think um, we don't correlate enough how our actions in suppressing the emotional the psychological um, even the somatic like even moving our bodies or what we put in our bodies I think often that can be really ignored um, in this go 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 society and therefore physical ailments are so widespread right and illness and disease is so rampant and I think that has a lot of correlation with the the inability to kind of face ourselves the inability to allow ourselves to awaken our devotion to love however it's once again it's not a hard and fast rule so there needs to be a little bit of um, leeway there But this is like a very empowering idea, right? It's an empowering idea that um, we have the power to create the life that we desire, right? We have 
that power within us to create a circumstance that really um, brings us so much joy and also that brings us so much healing, so much growth, so much satisfaction and peace. And at the same time, it's also uh, like taking care of ourselves so that we don't get to the point where the disease is the wake-up call, right? Or the illness is the wake-up call. We can use that empowerment of knowing that we have have the ability to heal to kind of be proactive in terms of not getting to the point where these crises are what wakes us up. So yeah, that was very long-winded caveat, but I think it's a necessary one. Wow, this has been a very long episode. I think there's been a lot of interesting contemplations and we really dove deep into them because I really want to over-explain rather than under-explain, if that makes sense. And also, I just want to put it out there that this is a conversation. It's not um, what I say goes, right? It's not that I want you to believe what I believe. It's just me sharing some thoughts. And I think it's so important to take whatever feels true and good for you, like whatever feels true and good in your heart, take that with you, allow it to be an inspiration for your contemplation. And whatever feels a little bit like, "Mm, don't know, then just leave that behind. You know, it's, it's ultimately your choice of what you take with you and what you leave behind. So yeah, just full sovereignty in being here and listening. And if you have any thoughts or you want to further this conversation with me, please reach out. I love to hear from you. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening to this beautiful episode. Um, The month of September, we are doing In the Wild Ones, which is my monthly membership. Um, We're doing a month of the power of prayer. That's our theme for the month. And I think it really aligns with this idea of awakening our devotion to love. Um, Because that's essentially what prayer is. It's devoting to love time and time again. And it's this kind of active, ritualistic way of doing so. So if you would like to join me for ritual, for prayer, um, you know, movement as prayer, meditation as prayer, um, every Monday you receive a poetry meditation. I handpick these beautiful poems and then I um, guide you through a meditation with them and leave you with a contemplation for the week. And then on Wednesdays you receive a new movement practice. And this is yoga, right? This is the practice of moving our bodies to integrate information. And these are themed alongside the theme of the month. So they'll all be in line with practice as prayer. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to the month of September. I would love to have you in the membership with me. 
It starts at um, seven Canadian dollars for the month and it's a sliding scale. So you get to choose to pay seven, 11 or $22 a month. Um, that's Canadian currency. And yeah, I really love the space as um, a beautiful way to begin a journey within because it's very soft and subtle, right? The like per week, I think you get just over an hour of practice. And I think that's really nice when you're first starting out because you can do the practice several times that week. You don't feel like rushed or like some, there's so much on your plate. Um, and they're just really gentle, soft, beautiful practices. So yeah, that's the Wild Ones membership. I will link it below. I'd love to see you within it. And if not, that's okay too. I look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Thank you for listening. The wild in me honors the wilderness within you. Namaste. Mm -hmm.